Hello and welcome to episode 70 of Can We Still Be Friends, a podcast that tests the limits of the friendship between two people who mistake movie taste for personal morality. I'm Nate Goss, here with Ryan Evling. And joining us for the first time in a long time is Evan Mather, who is here to talk to us about Children of Men, Alfonso Cuaron's vision of a dystopian near future from 2006. We've all seen and loved Cuaron's latest film, Roma, which is up for several Oscars this year. It made us want to go back and rewatch some of his earlier movies. We hadn't seen Children of Men in a long time, so we invited Evan in, seeing as he ranks Children of Men among his very favorite movies. Children of Men connected with critics pretty much right away, but didn't catch on with audiences, earning nearly $70 million worldwide on a $76 million budget. Despite some mishandling by the studio, Children of Men earned three Oscar nominations, including one for Cuaron's adapted screenplay. It really cemented Cuaron's pedigree as an inventive and groundbreaking filmmaker. As time has gone on, it's sort of quietly gained more and more respect as its themes have proven to be more immediate and hauntingly relevant with each passing year. But is it really worth watching another dire warning about our decaying Earth? Or should we be spending our last days on Earth watching something a little cheerier? Keep listening. Day 1000 of the Siege of Seattle. The Muslim community demands an end to the army's occupation of mosques. The Homeland Security Bill is ratified. After eight years, British borders will remain closed. The deportation of illegal immigrants will continue. Good morning. Our lead story. The world was stunned today by the death of Diego Ricardo, the youngest person on the planet. Baby Diego was stabbed outside a bar in Buenos Aires after refusing to sign an autograph. Witnesses at the scene say that Diego spat in the face of a fan who asked for an autograph. He was killed in the ensuing brawl. The fan was later beaten to death by the angry crowd. So that's uh, from the opening scene, just the very first couple seconds of the movie, Children of Men, that we're talking about today. Yeah, we didn't feel like looking through the whole movie and finding a clip, so we just said, yeah, let the beginning go. Luckily, it started with dialogue that was explaining a lot. Yeah. Yeah. You're 2027, and in uh, this society, uh, the youngest human on Earth has died. So they're 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 really laying out there this idea that uh, that uh, you know humanity has lost the ability to reproduce. Yeah, infertility. And, uh, yeah, is rampant, and everybody's kind of shaken, and that's where the movie starts. <laughs> And, and then it gets goes a little from darker from there, yeah. <laughs> and to uh, help us discuss that darkness and despair, yeah, is our good friend Evan Mather, who uh, hasn't been on here for a very long been time. A long time. Was it Die Hard? Was that the last I one? Die Hard was the last time. Oh. Yeah. Well, welcome back. Yeah. Thanks. Good Glad to have to you. Here. And the reason we have you back is because knowing that this is actually one of your all-time favorite movies, yeah, it's up there. You know, we figured. Why not bring why not bring that perspective in? Yeah. You know? Sure. Also, I, I just feel like this movie, as I hear other people talk about it, as I as I read more about it in the years since it came out, um, I think us having watched it once and then once yes. again yeah. probably isn't doing the movie justice. Right. So right. to bring somebody in who's thought more about it in the last twelve years than maybe you or I have mm-hmm. is probably a good choice. Yeah. Thirteen years now. And the other reason we're yeah. doing this movie to begin with, is uh, our, our our first uh, idea was just because of Roma, right? And uh, Alfonso Cuarón is kind of having a good a good year last year, I guess technically, but spilling into this year with yeah. the uh, awards Oscar's and nom- nominations and whatnot. And I absolutely loved Roma. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you did too, right, Ryan? I did. I just said, mm-hmm. oh yes, I, I wasn't Sorry. saying yes. You loved it. I love it <laughs> I, too. Okay, Evan, you you I also you really, also really loved it. Yeah, okay. Roma. Let the let the record show. It, 
There it is. All three Tallied. Good. One thing that I noticed watching Roma, I'm, there were scenes in it, especially in the second half, yes. where I was like, this very is much. very Children of Men. And yeah. I haven't seen Children of Men since it came out originally. So I, we were both kind of like, yeah, let's rewatch it. But you still know? such a very different feeling Sup- movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. super different. Um, yeah. It's interesting to see the similarities that you can call a movie Fellini-esque. <laughs> And Children of Men yeah. yeah. is, is, is the something. overlap of that Venn diagram. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That, that's it. But that it works so beautifully. Yes, absolutely. Um, maybe we should uh, let's let's do our thing. Let's start with maybe first first viewings. Yeah, I think that's a good place to start since we do it in every other episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's keep let's just keep that ball rolling. Episode seventy. We're not going to change 70. it up. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I saw it in the theater. I I don't remember how soon after its release I saw it. Um, Christmas Day. Christmas Day. <laughs> That's the day it came. I, said, we'll I don't op- think it was here. We'll Christmas open. Day. We'll <laughs> open <laughs> presents after. Oh, was it a limited release? I think it was. I think and it was like it open in New wider. York. Okay. Christmas Day. So I, I do remember I showed up a little late, and uh, I actually I didn't see the scene we just played. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Like, like I, the whole scene. Well, I the saw. Long take? We actually got there as the uh, the the coffee shop exploded. So. So to you, you didn't know that wow. was a long a take. Great start. No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. You're like, that's a very normal movie yeah. explosion. So, so, far, so much exposition that. happens. There. I know. I know. I mean, I had known about it. Like I had read like about that. But um, yeah, it really, uh, I mean, I feel really bad saying that because it's one of the great tone setting scenes yeah. <laughs> in yeah. movies. Um, but uh, yeah. And uh, I, I actually feel like I remember... I really liked it. I was way more enthralled with the filmmaking of it than I was uh, engaging with the story at all. I mean, obviously, I was I was engaged with the story, but through most of it, I was just sort of like, I can't believe they're doing this in one take, and like, I was just mm-hmm. yeah. astounded by uh, what he was doing technically, and um, I liked it. I didn't know what to think about it though, and honestly, in two thousand six, I was pretty up in the air politically. I mean, we don't need to get so far into it now, but uh, I was cleansing myself of conservatism <laughs> at that point, but I still had vestiges of it. And I think there was honestly part of me that was sort of like, this movie's a little alarmist. Uh, and, uh, you're adorable. I wasn't, uh, it, it's not like it, it affected anything other than I just wasn't ready to engage with it on that level. Um, Luckily, there was a lot to engage with technically. So yeah, uh, yeah. it's always been one that I've like admired. Um, but then in recent years, of people, as people have talked about it, as it's be, it's kind of been canonized to mm-hmm. a degree. Then like I need to, uh, I need to, I need to re-see this. You know, and I'm I, I just wanted to ask you though because you did see this in the theater. I did not. Um, but what was it that even initially attracted you to it? Do you remember? Oh, I had seen Itumama Tambien, and I had seen. Um, so it was Coron. Do you think? It, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I knew about Alfonso Cuaron. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I can go. Uh, it's very uneventful. I didn't see it in the theater. Um, I just saw it when it came out on DVD. Uh, I, at the time, uh, I worked at the library in the AV department with Evan. I remember you actually saying that Probably you really love the movie <laughs> um, and that I needed to see it. And being the, the terrible friend I am, when, when another friend says, you have to see this movie, I immediately put it near the bottom of the <laughs> list. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> Nobody tells Nate what to do. <laughs> I watched it because it was one that a lot of people were talking about, but I didn't have a whole lot of a connection to it. I, I did eventually see Itumama Tambien, but not before I saw Children of Men. 
uh, I did not see Prisoner of Azkaban. Very different movie. Of course, yeah, but I'm just saying there was no Corone <laughs> yeah, connection yeah, for yeah, me. Yeah. Uh, I do remember hearing before I watched it that it had some impressive filmmaking in it. And so that, again, like you, Ryan, that's why I was going into it. And I, I really liked it. But I'm kind of with you, Ryan, where I, I think I was more just appreciating it on that technical level. Um, and I did get into the story, and I could recognize there was some things happening, uh, you know, some kind of more symbolic things happening, some deeper themes going on than it just being sort of a dystopian mm. wasteland movie. And then I didn't really ever go back to it. Right. But I remember just over time, over this, these past few years, just hearing more and more people talk about it and feeling like I really needed to go back and and watch it um and letterboxd uh what ryan do you remember what your letterbox rating was i rated it four stars yeah that's what that's what my rating was was uh four stars as well on letterboxd so uh yeah evan why don't you talk about your first time watching yeah mine mine starts pretty similarly to ryan's except i was i was there promptly in my seat at the start of the film well um i remember my attraction was just it was one of the first years that i'd really been like trying to see new newer important movies i guess <laughs> in the theater and paying attention like what are the really well-reviewed and i'm pretty sure it was on the top of like av clubs list for the year oh, i bet yeah um and i was like how have i not heard of this movie it sounds amazing went to it sat saw the movie there's only one other time i can remember being physically unable to stand up from my seat mm. right when the movie was over and that was when i saw like saving private ryan at 14 yeah um and this one was both like a visceral shooken and an emotional mm. like just shooken and i sat there through like almost the whole credits not reading the credits just like sitting there getting myself together yeah so um actually speaking of letterboxd uh when i was logging it for this time i realized i have not seen this movie since i started logging on letterboxd so it's been really? it's been a six ish years mm. But before that, I'd seen it like, you know, maybe three times. Yeah. Three, four. Yeah. So it's been a while. It's, it, it's been, um, a, yeah, it has been a while. But it has stayed with you enough over that amount of time oh, yeah. that it's, that's still, it's like always had like a you. set spot in that. And uh, how, on rewatching it over the course of the the years, like what, what were the circumstances? Well, it's, it's it? such a textured movie in mm-hmm. its set design and, and world right. building. Oh, yeah. So you get to sort of like really every, – literally every time I see it, there's more that I see. Like this time, there's that scene where Key sort of tells Theo her secret in the barn. Yeah. She's talking about the cows mm-hmm. and how they have eight udders, but the machines only fit four. Cows only have four udders. Like what they do to the cows? Yeah. What? <laughs> what true. Ca- I, true. That has never clicked with me until That's like true. this like fifth, sixth time seeing this movie. Like, I what? remember thinking that What's was weird. No, I was like, I guess I don't know what I think And then cows. it makes more sense when there's the field of burning sure. cattle before. Yeah. And like something's up with the cows. Yeah, that's true. And that's one of the things I love about the movie is it does not hold your hand. No, Aside no, from that no. opening, you know, news bit, which that's what the news does is it holds your hand in what's going on. Right. It doesn't for everything else. You sort of need to pay attention and yeah. need to notice those things mm-hmm. because partially it doesn't matter. Right. Partially right. it's just texture. Yeah. But it's all there. Well, that was even something that Emmanuel Lubetsky or Chivo, as Colrón likes to call him, said to him, we, I, like every single shot should say something. Hmm. And that's 
that was their decision early on was that every single shot was going to have some kind of subtext or something that was going to add to the actual world or the theme or point to something or there's just shots littered with clues all over all over this movie yeah so did you have a did you so you hadn't letterbox rated it I hadn't. Yeah. I'm well no, I had. I had. I had letterbox rated it without logging it. Do you know oh, what I mean? I gotcha, like sometimes I gotcha. you like, say like logging I watched it yeah. they rewatched it. It was just sure. rated. And that rating and was it was it was five. Ah. It was five stars. Five stars. I just thought yes. you were like really hard on movies where like yeah. even yeah. your I favorite, have, favorite I movie. have three five star movies. That's it. <laughs> Four and a half. No more. <laughs> okay. So on the rewatch, does it move for you at all, Nate? For me, I am, for now, I'm going to keep it at four. Still wow. really like this movie, but I am very open to this by the end of the conversation, bumping this up to a huh. five. I don't think it would drop, but I, I would, probably, would be, I would keep, I would keep it at a four for sure. I don't know what to do if it drops for you. Yeah. I we end that, the podcast. Can you still be friends? This is the answer That's, to the question. <laughs> nope. There we go. <laughs> guess not. It was yes until. Where are you? Yeah. So I'm guessing Episode 71. It's just guess not. Yeah. I actually move it up to a five. Okay. I'm almost there. And it's hard to even figure out what exactly that one, what I need. There's a lot of different ways in which yeah. I come up with that weird rating. Yeah. So. All right. Well, then uh, I, I feel weird saying, like, it's a, what didn't we like about it? But, but uh, let's, uh, let's get the technical stuff out of the way, maybe. All right? I, I, it is as stunning, technically, today as it was the first time I yes. saw it, I think. I mean, the long takes, they let you see more of that texture, but they're not letting you look away. They're mm-hmm. keeping you trapped mm-hmm. there. And I think in the whole filmmaking, even more what I noticed um, the last couple times I saw it, than just the the long takes is the distance that the camera keeps you at. There's no close-ups. Yeah, right. And there's no long shots. Right. Or very few. It's all medium human point of view Mm -hmm. like if you are a person in that room this is what it looks like to you right and we're never getting closer and we're never getting further and then and then when those long takes do come up you can't look away you're stuck yeah in this room but at the same time sometimes the during the long take the camera looks away but you're almost wishing they hadn't because it's looking at like on the bus when you see Miriam mm-hmm. being taken away or you see what's happening to immigrants. Um, you're kind of like, can we just look back at Key and Theo for a little bit? Yeah. But no, we've got to watch this. Mm-hmm. And there are those really just striking times where the camera doesn't follow the action that we were just following. It's a literal glimpse. You know, it's like you're the point of view of the camera. You mm-hmm. are that point of view. Sometimes that point of view is shared with Theo. Sometimes it's not, but you are one point of view. And that's kind of the point of the long take, right? I mean, it's just supposed to make you feel like you're in real time. Mm-hmm. This thing's happening and folding as you are watching it. Um, I read a lot of Corone interviews preparing yeah. for this, and I'm sorry if I can't always cite exactly where I got it from <laughs> in a, beforehand. At some point, Quaron said. Um, but at some point, um, Quaron <laughs> has been quoted he, saying he's, he's always. I mean, he uses long takes in pretty much all of his films. Right. I'm pretty sure. I'm, I don't ever saw Prisoner of Azkaban, but he gets asked a lot why he uses the long takes, and his answer, at least a few times, has been that it honors the moment, um, mm. that it registers a moment of truthfulness. And I was trying to figure out why is it that we've seen a lot of movies that have violence that have intense scenes but none of them feel as just absolutely unrelenting to me as yeah. some of these 
And it's a long take. And usually the way you build intensity is through a lot of cuts. Mm -hmm. And he's doing it the opposite way. And maybe it's not looking where you want it to look, like you were saying. Or maybe it's looking to something very quickly and then moving away. Because of you being in that moment and not getting that cut, which is really kind of a subconscious cue that you're in a movie. Right. (laughs) I actually feel like, because I was trying to pay attention to my body as I was watching Mm -hmm. these scenes, I think you're body starts to get tricked when you're watching this and you start feeling like you're in kind of a fight or flight kind of thing. I guess unrelenting is the way it feels like it's not going to give you the easy way out of a nice cut that gives you a different perspective. Your perspective is so narrow. I mean, it it really plays on our, um, on the vocabulary of film and our, our training as viewers to know editing cues that violence is coming or Mm -hmm. the editing cues that tell us how we should feel about that violence. And it's very different watching somebody who is, you've seen them enter the scene, you've seen them like talk, they don't know the violence is coming either. And then all of a sudden get gunned down and you don't get the editing cue of you can take a breath here. You can like look away here, but you watch that person come in, interact with you, the viewer, with Theo, with Key, whatever, and then get gunned down. And now you have to see their body lay there. As viewers, we don't know what to do. Yeah. I even think of the the car scene when Julianne Moore gets shot. It takes a moment because the camera moves sort of away and you have to, just like you would in real life, you have to be like, did this just happen? Did, did what I just see actually happen? And then you have to go back to see her bleeding out and realize, oh yeah, it did. That, that happened. Jesus! Jesus. It's all done! Cover Kate! Get down! Having it be those long takes um, and just the way that they're choreographed, it's very hard to think of another movie where you really do feel like you're you're there. Like I'm sure a lot I mean, of war movies Ryan, do that. Kind of, it, it feels like it feels like it used some of that yeah. Saving Private Ryan stuff, but to much different effect. Saving Private Ryan was to me that opening beach scene was more about the chaos of it mm-hmm. and the the fear that is. And there's something different about children and men. It's not just chaos and fear. I don't know what it is. Can you guys, do you guys have any? Well, I think think the difference in there is in the writing. I think Mm. Saving Private Ryan, it's a good movie. It is. Um, I I don't think it's great. I think it does. It's no Shakespeare in love, as the Oscars (laughs) proved. It does hand you a satisfying narrative conclusion. Yeah. At least to the violence. Mm Mm-hmm. It feels chaotic, but narratively it's not. Yeah, but I think that the difference between, say, the beach scene in particular at Saving Private Ryan, which is also very intense mm-hmm. and violent. Um, and effective filmmaking. Is, is what, yeah, is, is, is again, it's not so much about you being put in the place of one person's experience of that. You're being sort of shown a bunch of glimpses, a bunch of cuts mm-hmm. of like, here's it from this angle. And I mean, it does let it go a decent amount of time. Those aren't like the fastest cuts ever, but like you're going to see it from this angle for a little bit. Then you're going to switch over to this angle for a little bit. And Children of Men doesn't give you that advantage. Mm-hmm. That is an advantage. That's a perspective that you don't get in, in the very intense scenes of Children of Men. It's almost, and from from the way that shots are staged, from the way it uses the long takes, we have the glimpse of a human where almost all other films give us a yeah. bit of god yeah you know you're god you get to see a close-up of what you need to see you get to see what you need to see Mm -hmm. over here in this 
You're yeah. just a person. And yeah. it's a risky thing because really, if 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 Corone cared that much about you knowing exactly what's happening, if that was his priority, is that I want you to know exactly what's happening in this action scene, he probably yeah. would have pulled back and right. given you a bird's eye right. view. But the more important thing for him is for you maybe to not know exactly what's happening in yeah. this action scene and to piece it together maybe later, just like an actual victim of yeah. trauma would have and to do to that and that's out. the whole movie the <laughs> yeah. whole movie is we're not going to give you all the pieces that you need explained in all the ways that right. you need the clips on the news something happened it gives you those pieces but it's not putting them together yeah. in a in a handy yeah. and that was very true of roma too yeah i mm-hmm. think i'm going to bring another corone quote in here because i think it's exactly what you're saying evan and about movies in general, he said, cinema has become now a medium. Well, a lot of mainstream and even indie sometimes, it's become now what I call a medium for lazy readers. It's illustrated stories. You can close your eyes and you can follow the movie. What's the point of seeing the movie? Cinema is a hostage of narrative. And I'm very good at narrative as a hostage of cinema. His whole point in the context of that was about how you really do have to kind of piece a lot of the movie together yourself. And some stuff's only going to maybe be said once. And if you didn't catch it, well, you'll sort of get it later, but you might still have some questions. Let the movie and the cinema speak for itself, yeah. you know, that this isn't just an illustrated story. I remember show, one of the times I've watched this was showing it to my parents, being like, this is my favorite movie of last year, one of my favorite movies. Let's watch it together. They thought it was okay. They liked moments of it, but their big question was, how did this happen? What led the right. world to this? Mm-hmm. And I feel like the point of both the way those action scenes are shot, what's going on everywhere else. How did this all happen? It doesn't matter. We're here. I mean, there's a reason that it doesn't open with a long take battle scene because he kind of had to train us as viewers to get to that point, to like immerse us, not just in the world of England in 2027, but the world that the movie is creating in your living room or in that theater that it's create it's creating an alternate world there too where like this is how movies tell stories and if if, as i'm thinking about the the same private ryan scene as chaotic as it is it's an extremely orienting scene he gives us the point of view of the german gunners so that we can even see where the people are running so we know when somebody's hiding we know where that is and like we can tell, oh, they're pretty close to being safe. Or, you know, there, w- w- there's a lot of reassuring of the viewer that goes right. on there. And there is no reassurance in any capacity, uh, emotionally, spatially, yeah. whatever, uh, in, in the battle scene for children yeah. and men. And frankly, you know how the Battle of Normandy goes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. true. And the fact children, that it's historic. Versus- um, and in children, and, and there is someone at my work who did not like this movie. They thought that it was extremely violent, um, and they thought it was just too depressing and too intense. Mm-hmm. And what what I find what I find kind of interesting is I think that if you actually just like listed out the violence, it's probably not that violent than a lot of movies we see. It's, it's just gory. how it's portrayed. Yeah, it's, it's very not, intense it's to not take as it. Gory, but as far as like the fact of it just being that heavy of a movie, I do kind of wonder. Um, you get so invested in the intense moments of this that it almost feels like it should be like a historical pick. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like if you're watching a war movie, you feel like I'm watching this, but I'm watching it because I'm kind of seeing what actually happened and trying to figure out like, what was it like to be there? You owe it to history. You owe it to, you owe it to, it to exactly. the people. That's who, what I'm getting yeah. at. 
And I, I kind of wonder, like, what does it mean to have a movie that is entirely fictional, but has that same level? Entirely. Of, <laughs> you know what I'm getting at. Yes. Yeah. Of course, it, it's very, it's got a mm-hmm. lot to say about today. Right. But these aren't real people that this really happened. Right. right. Is what I'm saying. No, yeah, there's absolutely and my so grandpa how, on the beach of Norway. Right, but it, there is, but there's a similar feeling of emotional investment, exact and heaviness. That's what I mean, and so I can see why someone could kind of be uncomfortable with that. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I don't feel like I should be sure. this invested in something that's entirely made up. Right. You know what I mean? And maybe, maybe be mad at the movie for making exactly. It. I don't, I don't have this like tallied down. I don't know if this all mathematically works out, but I think all of the long takes are tied except for one, to violence, to the worst violence. Yes. Except for the birth scene. The birth scene is the, um, yeah. So it's it's life and death. But And I think the reason for the long takes, the real reason are to both surprise you with the violence. I would say the first two, and even the last one, come out of nowhere. Yeah. You sort of start, and whoa, surprise, kaboom. Mm-hmm. And then the other reason it does it is to trap you there, like we've sort of talked about. Yeah. And both of those, I think, are what can be upsetting. I, I can understand that being the upsetting part. And I think it's what's most affecting on us, at least the way the violence um, affected us, right. was through the filmmaking of that and and the long takes. I mean, technically speaking about this movie, yes, the long takes are... Um, They're pretty swell. ...are amazing. But the long takes don't work without the production oh, yeah. design. Without that big of a world for the camera to be able to move through. I, I can't even fathom how they did it. Because I was watching some of the featurettes too, and they were explaining how they did it. I still don't I still don't believe it. Because it's the way they did it was just they worked crazy hard at doing it. <laughs> and just And yeah. those walls with people Is that the secret to doing things? Working hard. That can't be it. I don't think that sounds right either. But that's what they said. Maybe it worked for children and men. <clears throat> can't work for everything. Though. Lightning in a bottle. But like even walls where like people are posting pictures of possible survivors, you know, they like hand wrote like all these things and took different sorts of pictures and different filters and different, like it's just, and some of them have been there longer. So they're aged more. It's just every Mm -hmm. inch of that world was created and designed and it is unbelievably cohesive and perfect. I'm trying to think what, what is a speculative fiction movie aside from children of men that feels as fully realized and lived in years and years later, like gets more gets closer. Like when you saw children of men, I think when all of us saw children of men yeah. in 2006 or whenever we saw it, right? we were like, this is shockingly close. Yeah. But it's still like shockingly close turned yeah. up to 11. Yeah. Yeah. Turned I mean, up to eleven, and now we're like, uh, we're we're at ten and a half yeah, right now. No, absolutely. And I, I don't think there's another movie that was maybe no, as prescient. You're probably right. Like Blade Runner feels accurate for an eighties nineteen eighty two. Yeah, yeah. Now you're like, oh no, we've clearly veered off yeah, on a that's different nowhere path. Nowhere near what the world looks like. We are closer right now. Yes. To twenty twenty seven than we are to two thousand six. Yeah. So far. <laughs> on track yeah i mean my first note was maybe like i don't know three minutes in and i wrote it is insane how pertinent this movie is and we didn't even need infertility every level (laughs) right (laughs) like that's really the cause of a lot of this in there right is that they stopped caring right we're like nah we 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 just don't don't care 
See, we don't you think that you need to, to you need to have Jeez. the babies to care about um, the future. Guess what? No, you don't. You still not care about the future you with babies. You just need a lot of selfish people. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. I feel like we kind of had to go there, though, right? I mean, we, we kinda, absolutely we, we kinda had to go there. Ha- we have to talk about we the world in here and how is, it compares to now and where how it holds up. You know, how does it hold up? Oh, don't it I know up. it I holds know. up. It's horrible how well it holds up. I know the looks you guys gave me when I said I thought it was. A little alarmist. But right in 2006, it seemed alarmist. In 2006, I was a uh, anarchist punk who just learned how to tuck in his shirt. <laughs> was ba- it's, you know, that's sort of where I was. Uh-huh. 2006, we're talking about the Bush years. Yep. We're talking about Iraq. We're talking about the Patriot Act. Yep. You know, we're talking about Abu Ghraib, Guantanamo, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And that really is the beginning of my disillusionment with... Mm-hmm conservative politics sure we both grew up in the church yep i don't know if we've specifically talked about this on the podcast but it doesn't I, it's probably been pieced together by people who listen to this enough but yeah. there's a re- subreddit <laughs> following our, our, our political nate and ryan welcome to the resistance <laughs> <laughs> no um, and 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 I, and I was in 2006 i was kind of with you where i was like i i i am starting to see this yeah but I wasn't quite there in 2006. Well, in 2006, it still felt like it was talking about today. It felt like, okay, there are echoes of Abu Ghraib, what he's doing. You know, it felt a little on the nose at times and like, okay, we get it. We're doing it to terrorists, not immigrants. Don't worry. Right. The fact that it's the Department of Homeland Security rounding up immigrants then was a little like, oh, this is a thing that could happen. It didn't. Is what I was saying. Like, what I was saying, I was like, this is a believable future. Right. Because a terrifyingly believable future, but a believable future. Yeah. And to be fair, immigration was an issue back then, too. It's not like it's. And and also, it was a a big issue. But I'm kind of with you, Ryan. Like, when I watched Children of Men the first time, I was kind of like, this looks like a leftist's exaggeration sure. of Bush politics just taken way, way too right. far. Right. And, and I think really why we're chuckling a bit and what you're saying is that, <laughs> no, he was right. He was not exaggerating. He was not even radical. Not exaggerating at all. <laughs> and actually, if you, because there's people now, because of, of course people have been reevaluating this movie and saying, wow, boy, he really <laughs> hit it on the head. Yeah. And he gets asked this, like, do, and, and he gets almost mad if you call children of men prophetic. Because he's mm-hmm. just like, no, if you think, think it's prophetic, that means you were ignorant at the, at time, the time it came yep. out. Absolutely. Because all I was doing was taking things that were already being written about, already being discussed. To their logical extension. Yeah. That's definitely Shame something on us, to, exactly. Honestly, yeah. honestly, for being for being incredulous, because he was just asked this, you know, 2017, I think, and and his basic thing was like the argument of children of men, and the argument still is to just not be complacent. If I can get even darker, it's hard to think that we've we've passed a point of no return, though. That we were complacent for 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 way too long already. I don't know because I mean this movie saying. The logical extension of this complacency, the end of the world, is putting immigrants in cages. We've done that. Done. We're just tech- checking off the boxes of the world of children of men. So the, the first time I saw this, and I would say every time up to this time, my only complaint ever with this movie was the like final 30 seconds. The tomorrow showing up. I had always been like, this movie should end with key... And Dylan floating in a boat with a dead Theo. Cut to black, children of men, children laughter. 
And I was like, they don't need to give us this. That's a little like pat on the head hope at the end. Mm -hmm. The human project actually shows up. It was my biggest, my only, my only flaw. But then realizing how much I needed that boat at the end of this was the the worst feeling of all. That you like, were at that level that I of was, I So I wasn't as viscerally shooken. I was the most emotionally shooken, mm. this watch. Theo, the boat. The boat. It's okay. We're safe now. We're safe. And the hope is still a mixed hope. Sure. It, who, no, who it totally is. Who the hell knows what it that is. boat is or where it's going or what, what if, or if that's even going to make any difference whatsoever. That's right. not really answered for you. Well, I, okay, so I do want to bring in one of our listeners, Andrew Gates, uh, who wrote on Twitter to, to us and just said that he had watched Children of Men a few days ago and that he didn't expect to be so awed and uplifted by the end. Yeah. Um, I remembered the ending, like, even from my first time watching it, but I don't feel like I embraced the ending as much as I did the second time watching it. Clung to like, it. Clung to it. Right. Like the fat, is there a, is there a magic human project boat coming yeah. to save us sometime soon, guys? The little hope there is, is just that there are people out there who are working to yeah. make things better. You know, somebody, there's a, there's a, there's a documentary directed by Alfonso Cuaron on the special features. I don't know if it's available elsewhere, um, but it's called the possibility of hope. And he speaks to, some real heavy hitter philosophers, historians, sociologists who are just, you know, enumerating the ways that Children of Men is not prophetic. It is historical and current, including, I mean, it was made in 2006 when, when Alfonso Cuaron made the movie. There is, it's broken up into segments, and one of the segments is called Walls. <laughs> I mean, 12 years ago, right? And so, but, and then it's called the, the possibility of hope. The last part is about hope. And one of the, one of the people talks about how vital it is that they escape on a boat and that the hope is on a boat because it is rootless. What I like is that the solution is the boat. What is the definition of the boat? Is that it doesn't have roots. It's rootless. It floats around. That's the solution. We must really accept how we are rootless. This is, for me, the meaning of this wonderful metaphor, boat. Boat is the solution. Boat in the sense of you accept rootless, free-floating. You cannot rely on anything. You know, it's not a return to land. Renewal means you cut your roots. Well, I have nine grandchildren, so to be absolutely honest, I don't know what to tell them except the truth, what will be happening, and the options as I see them. But it's really going to be up to them. The best thing I can do is to encourage them and get them to regard it with a sense that not only is it awful and terrible, but it's also there's an adventure there and, and a, a chance of improvement and that they should continue to have their children. They shouldn't say, oh, what's the point of giving birth to children now with a world like that ahead? The whole point so it's not just a deus ex machina of, oh, and here's the boat. So now you can't say it's a depressing movie. Yeah. 
but it's it really is a philosophical thesis saying if we are to have any hope, we have to abandon everything that we have been basing our security on, our walls, our wars, our financial uh, security, our isolationism. That is never mm-hmm. going to be the solution anymore. The movie is saying, the book, I suppose, if the movie was sticking to the book, I haven't read it. It barely sticks to the book from what I understand. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, P.D. James is a Christian, and that's actually how I watched it the first time, was yeah. way more for the Christian allegory, like what, what, what was going on with that. And, um, and it, it, he's not adhering to one, one religious value, but I don't think it's uh, coincidental that there is sort of this like Mary and Joseph in the stable sort of when Key— when Oh, key, not at all. Like, you that's know, very yeah, intentional. Totally. <clears throat> yeah. I, I don't know how, how, how far you can go with this, but when he finds out that she's pregnant— he says Jesus Christ. Yeah, no, I think that it happens a couple times. Right, yeah. a people few times Jesus when people Christ. see the baby and they say Jesus or my, Christ. I think or one Jesus. time someone says, "My God." Well, not only is Theo a Joseph character, he's also kind of a Moses character as well. Yeah. You know, and and that he the same way that Moses never gets to see the promised land. You know, right. you have that in mm-hmm. the character. Yeah. Of, and I even wonder if that and I. If that's part of him wearing flip flops, is even just sort of a reference sure. to him being yeah, sort of like a some you know sort of a biblical character, yeah. you know? Yeah, I think there's a um, shoeless. I was actually gonna tie this in with the last time I was here. Our our hero is shoeless for a good chunk of it. Mm-hmm. He's barefoot, which I mean, both of our diehard episodes. Yeah. Oh, that's that <laughs> was your time. That was that diehard time. <laughs> oh man, you have that vulnerability, but I think there also is definitely a biblical like piety, penitence. You mean on Theo's part? On Theo's part. Yes. He does want to be selfish. He does want to yeah. have given up, but he, he, he can't. Part of it is because he gets roped into it, but then right. the reason he carries on is He gets no solace sort of, in this movie mm-mm, at all. Mm-mm. He gets he doesn't even get to finish a cigarette. But then you have that too. I mean, there are there are different religious groups who are responding this to this differently. Mm-hmm. Some people who are just self-flagellating and beating themselves up for it. Just every mode of thinking, every way we have processed pain and punishment and hope in this movie fails until like, you know, they're unmoored on this boat sort of floating outside of all of it which i mean it could feel a little unsatisfying and like a little like somebody who's done a lot of lsd saying like you just need to get like outside of it but i think more than outside the system outside of our typical responses to survival to how we survive which is always tightening our grip Mm -hmm. and what you notice in the movie is that when it, when you get more into the individual level, uh, that's where the love and the hope is, and where people can connect and understand each other. Um, and it's when you have groups. Groups are where ideologies start to form, mm-hmm. and once those ideologies start to form, people don't think rationally anymore, including nationalism. Yeah, nationalism, but also you know even the more resistance movements as well. Yes, you yeah. know those aren't off the right. hook in this movie. Right. I mean, it reminded me a lot of like the Antifa stuff that Absolutely. we see. Absolutely, you know, yeah. Um, that they'll, they'll do whatever they need to to get to their ultimate end. It's yeah, like they're all willing end. to yeah, reject yeah. someone's humanity. That, right, that's true. Well, they all think they care. You know, everyone in the movie, the groups all think that it's just like today. All well, that's these, what I'm saying. Yeah, know. yeah. Well, so who? Uh, I don't oh, know. Uh, his cousin doesn't really care. He just secretly just doesn't. But think that's about an individual. It. I'm talking more right. about the groups. But yeah, groups. you're right. There's and there's always going to be people like that, and they can be just as frustrating. I'm really sorry, Nigel. I, I just don't know who else to ask. Let's see what I can do. What? 
You kill me. A hundred years from now, there won't be one sad fuck to look at any of this. What keeps you going? You know what it is, Theo? I just don't think about it. And it's actually a coping mechanism yeah, for him, oh yeah. you know. Well, isn't it sort of fascinating that he he thinks he's he really thinks he's preserving something worth preserving? It, it, just, nobody in the world is off the hook in this movie, right? No one. Like the fact that there are these moments of art peppered throughout, you could say, "Oh, this movie is just really self congratulating about the power of art." But his cousin focuses only on preserving art mm-hmm. and he is so wrong and out of touch. I don't know. It's, it's remarkable how this movie can take aim at so many people and still have such a plausible uplift at the end. And I think part of that comes from seeing a real transformation In because, Theo? yeah, because Theo is, I mean, you're either going to be part of a movement or you're going to kind of become numb to it. That's kind of where we're at now. Yeah with everything that's going on. You're either going to decide to be on a side and be very strongly on that side, or you're just going to tune out. Yeah. And that's, to me, the tuning out is sort of where he was and also where the Michael Caine character is too, um, yeah. where that's the solution. Take some drugs, just tune out, man, just get away from it all. Um, but you see a transformation because it's forced upon him, really, right. where he can't help, once he's in it, to actually care about something and yeah. to actually try to further progress humanity. I mean, it's when there's a sign that there's going to be more humanity. Correct. Yeah. Like that, right. that moment in the barn is, mm-hmm. is when he. Right. Which, uh, you know, and that's why I think infertility is such a despairing thing to hang this whole movie mm-hmm. on. It really does make you think like we, we really put all of our hope in future generations. Yeah. I put my hope in my kids. I hope they can make it better, you know? But and I, then, I think that's, I mean, I'm not saying that you're a bad person, Nate, but that's how we got in this mess. I know. We don't think like, oh, they're the hope. It's like, no, we're the hope. It's us. We need that's to make it. the world for them. If we hand them, I mean, we were handed shit. But what I'm saying is so. that the, the reason that you see this mo- this world devolving so much is because what's the point? There really is. Right. This This movie gives you a plausible what's the point. You're right. Yes. What is the point if there's no life ahead of you? It's not surprising that this world looks like this. What I think it's honestly convicting us of is what's your excuse yeah <laughs> you've got future yeah. generations right. yeah you've got Absolutely. people that you can invest in you know um this world didn't have it and as soon as it, it it saw even the most remote chance of it happening it changed the most cynical hard-hearted person yes know? but oh but i know what you're gonna say the part that i noticed i think and i'm not i'm gonna i'm, no, gonna, go I'm gonna guess this is what you're gonna say what is really disheartening in this movie as far, and also I think very accurate to life, is when you see an entire group of people pause at the sign of mm-hmm. life. And what? It takes like 10 seconds for the fire the and they start up. <laughs> out of view. second yeah. that baby's out of view. Yeah, yeah. Which I think had to happen to just yeah, feel yeah, true. Yeah. It wouldn't yeah. feel authentic. And I think that it also speaks volumes. As we're talking about this, I didn't necessarily think of it when I was watching it. But as we're talking about this, I'm reminded, it, this 2006, The Road came out, the book. But, I mean, down to the fact that The Road is not concerned with how it started either. But just like the hope is in a child, like that there's somebody who's just like, I need to do something. Like there's something going on and there's, there's an uplift at the end of the road as well. Um, 
there's certain things that parallel each other really well. It's it's just interesting to see people interact with the despair of those of those those two works. And I don't know how we're supposed to react to it. Are we supposed to just philosophically feel like, wow, yeah, that's really something to think about? Are we supposed to just think that's way too depressing to think about? Like, obviously, I don't think that's the the response, but I just don't know what to do with it. One thing, one thing somebody said in that documentary, and again, you guys should just watch it. The featurette. It's a featurette. It's called The Possibility of Hope. We should see if it's on YouTube or something. I will link to it if it's there. But um, somebody says that you don't have hope without despair. And so one of the things the movie does is shows you the depth of despair and then makes you want that hope. Like, just crave it as a viewer. And it would have been horrible if the movie didn't give it to us i think to just say that's it just despair but that's an interesting way to look at despair to see it as the only avenue towards hope i mean hope is a is a counter it's is a reaction to despair like hope on its own everything's going great and i hope it's gonna keep being great you need it's, you know, a trite Bob Rossism is like, oh, you need to be sad to know when you're happy. Right. But if you want to feel like global and existential despair, not just individual, but like right. as a species, <laughs> yeah. it has to happen through fiction. Right. For well. now. For now. So to both empathetically and like hypothetically sure. experience that reactive hope. Right. We need to have... The despair. And I, I will say that but I, I talked about my emotional reaction to Children of Men. The Road is also, I think, the only times I've ever, like, literally shed tears at a book. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, 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 it feels dark to say it, but they're tapping into something. Not exploitatively, I don't think. What do we do? Are we even talking about the movie anymore? Well, well I think... Do we okay, I, got a, I got a question for you guys. It's called Children of Men. It inherited its title. But let's forget about that. Okay. Is it saying this world is the children of men, Mm. humanity, Mm -hmm. people created this, God is dead, God has forsaken us, Mm. we did this. Mm -hmm. This is the bed we made. Or is it saying this is the world that men made? The Mm. only good men in this movie are men that don't pick up a gun, are are not objects of classic masculinity, or they're women. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Is this saying that this is a world, or is it, it could be saying both? Yeah, God has forsaken us. Also, both the classic patriarchal God and any God you may believe in, or we have forsaken God. I, I think that this is an instance because it's based off the P.D. James novel, um, and I think Quaron is okay with picking these parts up. This is a more direct biblical reference. I, I wrote it down. Ecclesiastes nine three is the heart of the sons of men is full of evil, and madness is in their heart while they live, and after they after that they go to the dead. And then you also have, biblically, you have a lot of, you know, Christ is the son of man and it's children of men. So um, I just think it's using some terminology that's very familiar in scripture. And when you look at that, what it's, what it's often doing, it's acknowledging the frailty and the fallenness and the sin of man, basically, you know, there is evil in men. Mm. Um, And then I think by kind of making it children of men, there's adding that little bit of innocence to it. And we are still children as well. And I think children also makes it more gender neutral. Whereas in the biblical things, it's son. 
And I think it's a more gender neutral approach at getting at that. And well, at the idea it was also of, originally written in a non gender neutral language. Right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah. Right. Right. It might be worth learning in the book. Um, the child that is born uh, is a boy, and then the um, movie it's a girl. Future's female. <laughs> hey, mm-hmm. I'm all for it. Yeah, uh, but uh, but I don't know. So 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 what's that getting at? I don't I don't really know. Well, I mean, it's interesting that the the reference to children of men, son of sons of men, are the sons of men are in here full, full of evil. Um, but then Christ is the son of man. Yeah, and that's and supposed to be your salvation. You've got the evil and the salvation, and I feel like that that's offering the choice. <laughs> like like you said, there's still some innocence. The future is not set for children yet, and as children of men, you can be children of men in the sense of carrying on the evil, or you can be children of men in the sense of the son of man and bring about the salvation, you know? uh, Evan, did you have, what were you getting at when you were asking about children of men? Oh, I don't know. Okay. I don't, I was asking you. That was an actual question? (laughs) It was a real question that I wasn't setting you up for something. I wanted to, what did, I think both are true. Well, I looked it up. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's, I mean, it's, it's uh, pregnant with possibilities. Mm. Mm-hmm. I did not write that ahead of time. That was off the top of I my head. I think you're now. about to be fired. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't talk that much about Michael Caine's character. He gets probably one of the most straightforward philosophical conversations in mm-hmm. there about the... Uh, faith and chance. Faith and chance and this sort of cosmic battle. This is him? Yeah, that's it. It, it had been about your age. Magical child. Beautiful. Their faith put in praxis. Praxis? What happened? <laughs> Charts. It was their sweet little dream. He had little hands, little legs, little feet, little lungs. In 2008, along came the flu pandemic. And then by chance, it was gone. Oh, Jesus. You see, Theo's faith lost out to chance. So, why bother if life's going to make its own choices? <laughs> In his idea of the, this battle between faith and chance, my, my question is, so where does hope fall in that? I think the sort of traditional view of faith and the traditional view of chance are both passive. I sit here and chance happens. Or mm-hmm. I sit here and I have faith that things mm-hmm. will happen. Yeah, wow. I'm not sure if this is what's happening in the scene, but it's what I'm thinking of now. That the passive faith you're talking about is not the opposite of chance. It's more faith in chance. Yeah. Whereas faith on the hope side of it is that more active faith that what I do has an effect. What I do can matter. So I'm going to choose the good rather than the bad. And it feels like that gets awakened in Theo again. There's so much to talk about. I feel like I need to watch this movie and just say like, okay, this time I'm going to pay attention to what song is playing. And then I'm going to like do research on that. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff with the song choice as well. Mm -hmm. Enough to bump it up for you. I think so. So let me tell you, these are things I just still am unsure about. And, And part of my, part of my rating was also just like personally ranking this as far as, is this my kind of movie? You know, I'm leaning towards this being a five-star movie, but I can tell you why it kind of was just at a four. Uh, it feels like a movie that 
kind of demands action, but I don't know what that action is supposed to be. There's, I mean, there's obviously no easy answer to that or any, any answer. I think what does come through is a warning against anything that reduces the humanity of other people. Yeah. That like reduces your own humanity, like Theo, who has Mm -hmm. lived just to avoid hurt or reduces the humanity of immigrants or reduces the humanity of the powerful or reduces the humanity of Republicans or Democrats or anything like anything that you use to reduce another person's humanity to a label or to an otherness. um, And that ignores your humanity, that that is essentially a a form of infertility. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what you do about that. Uh, (laughs) Like it's a, it's a deeply personal thing. I suppose at an action level, at a bigger level, then you would seek to align yourself with things that you see recognizing the humanity of other people. That it doesn't become self-serving or party-serving or movement-serving, but that it is like, are we still affirming the humanity of everybody? And I'm not good at it, really. I, I, I vilify people constantly in my head. Um, to me, the movie is just, it's scary to, it's a warning about the extension of those thoughts. Mm -hmm. It's not helpful to watch the movie and distance yourself from it and say, well, I'm, I'm not like that. Or I told you so, or I knew it was going to happen this way. Uh, But just like we were talking about with the title, like we're all children and we all did this. We all have a hand in this. We all have a, a, a choice in this. Um, and it doesn't spell it out, but I don't think that in this movie's case that that's a cop out. I must not be to articulating it very well because I was satisfied with the ending of the movie. I was satisfied with what happens with Theo's character and the, it, the transformation. Do you feel like it's makes. too wishy-washy that it doesn't take a side? It doesn't need to take a side, but I also think it's being a little vague about how you should live. Yeah, I think, I you think know? you live a life that values life, that actively values life most of us aren't going to be a theo or a julian or a luke who are there from sort of the start of hope and know about it but we're going to be we're the people on the street that are like holy crap there's a baby let me put it this way (laughs) you said yourself ryan that in this documentary you watched they were talking about the real changes have to happen from something that's like a boat that doesn't even have any sort of relation to the systems that we're in I think affirming the humanity of all people is very far outside the system. <laughs> I, I would agree. So I, I think that's where Corona is settling, is that that's the answer. But it's very hard to know how to put I, that into practice. I, I think guess. he's saying that in this world. I mean, his world is still a world turned up to 11. And I, I do think that we can take those values and find hopeful potential examples of them that at least push us closer to life on this land right now. When we can't, then we should go to sea. And maybe we're closer to that point than we have been in recent history. Yeah, I think that part of what is hard is that because this has only just gotten more and more true to life. Right. Not that we want the movie to spell it out for us, 
um, because I don't want that of any movie, really. I mean, that's when it becomes heavy-handed. But it's almost like we're desperate. Like we want to know what we right. can do to, to yeah. correct the ship. And you know, and the sad thing is, I don't think this movie is going to really no. tell you. No. Um, and we just live in a period where it's. I, I, I kind of feel like it's even more like we need to know. We yeah. need to know yeah. what we should do to well, change I, this. Come on, you know? Quaron, give us the Twitter <laughs> yeah, thread, yeah, yeah. and we. Yeah. Well, it, and that and that goes be, with like a lot of what I'm reading and watching. Like I feel like I'm reading and watching a lot of stuff that says yeah. these are the problems. And then it's just kind of like you kind of just want to know what can I do? Just tell me something I can yeah. do, you know. And maybe it's just that I almost have a knee jerk because it does sound a little kind of hoity-toity, wishy-washy is to is to love your fellow man and to put that before but all. But it's else, also don't you know? ignore don't ignore the evil around you. And that's what I think I think that's the po- point in time we're at now. Just being complacent. And in America we've been We've been very comfortable economically, and we continue to be, but things are getting worse and worse and worse. And we, you mean white White, white, white men, right. right. Yeah. And I think this is a time of listening, and we are late. Mm-hmm. We are very late to this. That's part of the urgency, is that it is very clear that we are too late. But I, I think we are currently in a spot where we need to understand the reality of the mm-hmm. situation at a very, very deep level. That's not just yeah. examining ourselves. It's, lar- it's, a, it's a big part of it and understanding where we've been complacent, what we've been ignoring, how we've been benefiting at the expense of other people. But it's also, and I'm not saying that this is happening in the movie to, all that much, but I'm just saying in real life, it's listening to the marginalized people and their stories and understanding what that and is. Beyond that, not just m- moving them from the margins. Like we, right, right. that's us moving aside and then actively taking plate, yeah. well, taking it's expand, steps to it's expand. It's expanding, yeah. not just moving them. It's, it's yes. just expanding. Yeah, to expanding. And, and the movie deal is with, in their instance, the, the devastating thing is um, infertility. Mm-hmm. I think that you could easily make the case that if we're not careful, when we get to 2027, we're looking at devastating thing being climate change. Those things are already impacting the marginalized people right. in this world. Right. And we're not paying attention. Right. It's scary feeling like you're too late. It's infuriating realizing you're too late and then hearing people who still don't want to listen to it. Right. And they're the people in power. Right. right. And you don't know what to do with that. Right. So you watch a movie like Children of Men. It does kind of feel like Corone saying, don't give up hope, guys. But then you're kind of left with, I don't know if I believe in that boat coming. Yeah. I don't know if I'm. I don't know if I'm there with you. You know, it, it's it. it's hard to be kind of left with a, a nebulous idea of a boat when we're living so closer to where we, this is ending up. That human project in that movie, that better have a real great idea. Mm-hmm. It would have been real nice, and probably would have made a more popular movie if this fighting stopped for good when with the presence the of the baby. Yeah, right. But the movie's too realistic. It's too aware of humanity and history. And it is a choice that you make. There is no magic moment where hope enters your world and you're good. You have to follow it and you have to foster it and you have to go after it and you have to sometimes sacrifice and you have to make hard choices and leave people behind and... That's just part of it. Hope is not magical, I think, is part of what this movie is saying. Yeah. That you've still got to row your boat out to (laughs) the boat. Hope is an active verb. It's not going to come get you, you know? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm working this stuff out. I yeah, know, hey, as I'm I, watching, I, it. I, I am. Yeah. How many, how many movies give you that much to, to work with, though? Well, I I didn't know where this conversation was going to go. I didn't know how we could talk about this movie and do it any sort of justice because there are a lot of people who write about this movie with way more knowledge of the elements that mm-hmm. are being portrayed. Um, but for me personally, if, if people listening don't feel the same way, I'm sorry. I feel like this is a really great way to process this movie because yeah, there is an immediacy to this movie uh, today that in 2006, I don't think we would have cared what the movie was trying to tell us to do, but we need to know <laughs> what can we do. Yeah. I don't know yet still. All right, all right. So, I'll, so I'll ask, and how I'll ask, and how are we doing? I'm gonna, I am gonna put this at. How are five. we doing? I am. Gonna, you want uh, us to wrap wise. up? <laughs> oh, friendship wise. <laughs> I, I think we're best buds in like the foxhole right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, will, I will, stormed into your bus shelter, and people are shooting at him, and you're like, whoa, 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 dude. I will, I right, will go. This exactly. is my shanty. <laughs> I am going to go five stars, uh, mostly because, as you said, Evan, if any movie can make you talk at this level and yeah. actually still feel uh, honest, where your you're talking is not necessarily um, pointing out these huge flaws in the movie, more just kind of wrestling with what the movie's given you. And then this is a very peculiar movie in that sense because it just seems to be so much going in the direction that we're going. Right. Yeah, you got everything else right. Yeah. Why can't you give me this one or <laughs> yeah. two other yeah, things yeah, yeah, too? Yeah. You, you seem to know so much. But it's an extraordinary movie, yeah. you know, in, in a lot of ways. All right. I, well, I mean, I guess we're best buds, I think. Yeah. Evan and I are. But yeah, I'd, I think. I gave this movie five we stars were. before it was cool. <laughs> true i i feel like i don't know would you not say we are best buds i would if you guys think so but i feel like i was kind of the naysayer and so you know i you were wrestling with it in the way you were here for you you were actively searching (laughs) for faith in this movie sure i'm glad okay yeah i mean i feel like we're best buds i don't want to there's there's no reason for tension on this movie because i don't think that i didn't the most complicated best buds yeah i didn't feel tense well this is when this is where the rubber meets the road in friendship we've been doing this for 70 episodes now Uh, i think we got a real good uh idea of friendship and this is this is one of those tough times but this is one of those Mm -hmm. strengthening times you know all right. Well, okay. Best buds it is. Uh, yeah. yeah. Children of men. Yeah. Two, three thumbs up. I mean, I've got two, so I, got two my math. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So six, six thumbs six, up. Six. I don't know how up. it works. Where's that extra thumb? Seven thumbs up. We got seven <laughs> thumbs in here. Heads up, seven up. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, let's talk about our next uh, episode. Well, next time we're, we're doing a movie that was suggested by a listener. This is from Eric from Massachusetts. And uh, he suggested that we watch Goodwill Hunting. And so, based solely on that, I don't know if there's any tie in. Maybe we could make something. We could probably make, make something, something up. Happen. I don't think it's like an anniversary um, or anything like that. No, I don't think so. I haven't seen this movie since it came out. Oh, man. I've seen it once. That's it. I, I don't think about it very often. I know for some people, it's a real. it's been a real mainstay, or at least they yeah. feel like they've watched it a lot. So, we might have a lot of things from uh, from listeners. I hope sharing so. their thoughts it's weird i feel like it's it's one of those movies that does just it sticks around for some reason like right. i hear about it every once in a while and i think it'd be interesting to explore why i feel like if you say goodwill hunting in a room of like more than three people somebody's gonna be like oh i love that movie yeah i mean i'll tell you 
without giving away too much of uh, episode 71. You say the name Goodwill Hunting in a room of people, and somebody says, oh, I love that movie. I'm not going to be the person that says that. Yeah, I, well, I don't think I would be either, I, because I, and I, it would be more of a, I don't know. Yeah. And it would be more of a, I saw that when I was in high school, yep. and I never really felt like I needed to see it again. Right. But there's been a part of me that's been curious. Goodwill Hunting is available uh, for now on Netflix and Hoopla. Hoopla being the public library's streaming platform. There, I know so little about this movie. His name's Will Hunting, right? It's Goodwill. And it's about his first, well, it's not his first trip hunting. Watch it with us. Find out what happens to that Will Hunting. Yeah. Good it's Goodwill. Will. That Real doesn't common. sound right. It is. So find out with us about uh, what hunting. it's like to, to watch this movie again about Good's first hunting trip. Goodwill Gone Hunting. <laughs> yeah. That was the working title. You, you know, you, you throw this stuff to a committee and they eventually figure it out. Mm-hmm. The best movies are... are committee-driven. Committee-driven. Changed endings, multiple endings. Exactly. You screen the movie, you figure out which one the audiences love the yep. most. Yep. That's what you go with. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's really but I still find, I still, you know, committee or not, I still find the title a little confusing because it, mm-hmm. being aware of, like, the goodwill... Yeah. It store. could. I. I think it's totally acceptable right. to read it as goodwill. Goodwill hunting, like yeah. thrift store shopping. bargain shopping. Right? Yeah, like hunting for bargains. Yeah, yeah. Which I did in high school. That's what I did. I it, said, "Hey guys, you know, before we go see Goodwill Hunting, let's go Goodwill let's Hunting." Goodwill Hunting. And I thought the movie was tied to that somehow. Right. Turns out it was about yeah. Goodwill Gone Hunting. Right. Uh, I mean, it just shows how how tough it is to title a movie that even mm-hmm. a, a committee, like a foolproof body like a, a committee didn't even think about the thrift store shopping right. aspect of right. this right well that's i mean you get to the hollywood elites and they're not even they're not, not thrift store shopping that's the problem that's your committee was not this representative not of the people seeing the movie right but they could have test screened it in small town america i know they could have and they would have immediately heard great movie love the hunting bits but <laughs> Just what looking I, for a lot of thrift stores, yeah, and didn't pay off. I think about it. If you made a movie called Sam's Club, right? Are you going to think it's about a club owned by Sam? Or are you going to think it's a reference to Sam's Club? Oh, I actually thought it was about Sam Adams' sandwich. Well, see, there you go. This is what you need committees for. Oh, so you're not talking about an adaptation of the book Sam's Club, which was the historical fiction about Sam Adams. Sandwich? Sandwich. Club sandwich. No, I didn't know that even existed, but I, I'll take your word for it. Really? Sam's Club? You didn't read that in high school? No. That was, was like freshman high school. We read Sam's, Sam's Club. Club. There Was there a movie adaptation? No, I thought you were talking about making a movie of Sam's Club. Okay, well, I didn't even but know the book existed. you were talking existed. about something different, some sort of store? Yeah. Do you not, you're, you're not, I guess you're not Honestly, middle America. I mean, if you haven't read Sam's Club, it's really great. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I mean, I haven't read it, so I don't know why I just agreed to that. Yeah, you didn't even, haven't I, even heard of it. I haven't heard of it, but the way you've talked about it just now, With really, such, yeah. I'm, I'm sold. It has to be. Great. I haven't really said anything, but I am tearing up. Uh, okay, so if you want to watch Goodwill Hunting, Goodwill Gone Hunting, Will Hunting, Going Hunting, and Get Is Gone... Uh, then give us a uh, give us some feedback. We have two social media options out there. Yeah, 
We've got Facebook, mm-hmm. and we still be friends. Podcast is our business page. I think it's a business page. Uh, you can also go to Twitter, CWSBF there. Uh, you can also talk about Children of Men, mm-hmm. and our other past episodes, yeah. February, Valentine's Day. Yeah. If you have any suggestions. Yeah. yeah. We'll take more. We, we are. I'm not going to stop no. after Goodwill Gone Hunting. Right. And then we've got a, a, a website, canwestillbefriends.net, yep. and a closely related email, feedback at canwestillbefriends.net. And uh, we also have a voicemail number that you can call and uh, leave us a, a voice message. You know that number? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Our listeners don't know this because I always cut it. But we never remember the actual yeah. phone number. 70 episodes in. 70 episodes in. That's right. I have to look it up every single time. That's fine. 847-306-9532. I just looked it up. That's what it is. 847-306-9532. Give us a call and leave a message. We do know how to check the messages. We do. I, do, I know that. Yeah. Because yeah. I get an email. Right. It's easy enough. <laughs> you don't have to do any work to listen to that. If it was so. anywhere else, I would not know. <laughs> Or where to look. Um, that might actually be airing dirty laundry if we, we talk about how long it takes me to respond to email. <laughs> Nate sometimes has to email me two or three times before I respond. <laughs> I'm, I get, a, you I'm get, a good friend. You get used to it. You get used to it. Uh, you figure, yeah, maybe he's dead. <laughs> oh, no, no, he's not dead. I would have heard something. He's not dead. Just doesn't respond to electronic I will, mail. I will email you when I die. Oh, thanks. So you will know. Thanks. I'll look forward to that email. <laughs> no, we're not really. I will respond to, to your email over my dead body. <laughs> 70 episodes, five years this week. Am I right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. This week, five years. But yeah, I mean, it's it's I, great. It's, great. Yeah. it's good. I can't, uh, you know, I, I honestly can say I, 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 I did... Didn't know if it would go this long. I don't think I had any expectations of it. Uh, and, and that means that if you've been listening to us since the beginning, I don't know how many of you out there are there are, but you've been with us for five years, which yeah. is kind of a, a big thank you. Yeah, to that. absolutely. That's, that's something. That's loyalty. That. Yeah. And we demand loyalty. We do. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll catch you in March. And uh, thanks for listening. Yeah.